Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de Lamatroc, and Ina Corio. Those are my pen names. And if you've been uh, listening to this podcast for a while, you know all that. But if you're new, uh, you need to go back a few episodes because you're about to hear chapter nine of a young writer's story. And uh, yeah, you missed the first eight. But either way, I'm glad you're here. We've been reading... The Journey by Gabrielle Lawson. Um, Gabrielle wrote most of the stories, so most of the time we hear Gabrielle's stories. Uh, Philippe has written a few of them. I eventually, you know, occasionally we hear, read some of his, and we've already read all of Ina Coriel's story in various uh, episodes. So, most of the long ones belong to Gabrielle, too. Funny how that is. Although Philippe's talk, actually, probably a bigger percentage of Philippe's are long ones. <laughs> And a bigger number of them are Gabrielle's. Inaquarials are all short stories. All right, let's get back to The Journey, Chapter 9. The Young Riders, The Journey, a novel by Gabrielle Lawson, Chapter 9. Rain thrummed on the tin roof like a thousand drummers. Thunder rumbled and shook the walls. Buck exhaled. He inhaled and exhaled again, and even that was difficult. His, his lungs resisted his efforts to expand them, while his ribs, jagged and sharp on his left side, stabbed at them. His whole torso had to lift just to pull the air in, and that movement sent long tendrils of pain shooting down his arms, but not to his fingers. They had long since numbed. He exhaled. It was all he could manage. The door screeched open, and that breath stuck in his lungs. He could not lift his head to see, but he counted the footsteps he heard. It took him a few seconds to realize that he could hear them. The thunder had stopped, and the rain had lost half its force. The footsteps stopped right in front of him, and Buck let out his breath and waited for the first blow to fall. I think it's time you left this place. That was not the man's voice. There was no anger in it, no hatred. There was sadness instead but not the murderous grief the man had used against Buck. Buck had never heard this voice with his ears, and yet it was familiar. Jenny stopped praying when she realized Buck had stopped moving. She froze, fearing that it had all been for nothing and now Buck was dead. The door behind her opened and someone hurried across the room to her. You stopped, Teaspoon whispered. At first, he had taken the silence and stillness as a sign of Buck's death, but as he drew closer, he could see that Buck was, indeed, still breathing. His eyes had finally closed, and his body relaxed into unconsciousness. Jenny did not take her eyes off Buck. She wiped at her eyes, which were wet with tears, and then slowly touched his face. But Buck did not even twitch. You did it, he said, sitting behind her on the empty bed. Jenny turned her head, and Teaspoon's attention was drawn to the dreamcatcher hanging between the bedpost. It looked as if the small hoop and web had done just what Indian tradition said it would. But Teaspoon couldn't help the sick feeling in his stomach at seeing Buck so still. Was he really better this way, or just more comfortable? Was he farther from the world now that he couldn't feel the pain? If he's still like this in the morning, he said finally, we'll take him home. Buck heard the owner of the voice as he knelt be before him, and Buck noticed now that the rain had ceased altogether. 
Some of the chill began to leave him. Buck, the voice said again, give me your hand. You don't have to stay here. This is over, and you've got a very important choice to make. Buck tried to raise his head and found that he could. Ike, he asked, and the figure before him smiled. It looked just like his friend. It held Ike's wide hat in, his ha in its hands. A bandana covered its smooth, he smooth head. Buck shook his head. Ike died. The smile disappeared. Yes, I did. But I didn't go far. Your voice, Buck said as he lowered himself onto his ankles. Ike didn't speak. The figure did not answer at first, but looked pointedly at each of Buck's hands. Buck blinked and looked at himself. He held his hands up and turned them over, touching his fingertips together. He could see them as they were no longer hitched behind him. He could feel them. The cruel ties were gone. The figure spoke. I did, it said. You gave me my voice, and, I, and you could always hear it. I moved my hands as you taught me, and you heard my voice. Buck dropped his hands in his lap, noting with some small part of his awareness that he felt no pain in doing so, and stared at the figure, who smiled softly back at him. Something wasn't right, but it wasn't the figure in front of him. It was himself. There was no pain in his hands, his wrists, his ribs, his knee, or any other part of his body, and yet he could feel. He hadn't eaten for days, but he wasn't hungry. He had been denied sleep, but he wasn't tired. The figure's smile went away again. It's a very important choice, Ike said, standing, and Buck knew it was really Ike. Ike offered his hand. Buck took it and let, Buck, let Ike help him to his feet. As he stood, the darkness of the shed brightened and the walls and boxes and table faded away. A soft, cool breeze blew across Buck's face as the sunlight warmed his skin. He took a deep breath of the crisp air, filling his lungs hungrily after their prolonged deprivation. Ike's hand touched his shoulder. Buck turned to look at him, still bewildered that his friend was there. Buck reached for his shoulder, too, worried that Ike would vanish as soon as his fingers brushed his coat. But he did not vanish. He felt solid beneath Buck's fingers, and relief flooded through Buck so quickly that he nearly collapsed. Ike caught him, and they both ended up on their knees. I missed you, Buck said in a whisper that was half sob and half joy. Ike helped him up again. I know, he said, and for that I'm sorry. I never meant to meet, leave you alone like that. Buck shook his, he shook his head, happy enough to see his, at seeing his friend to outweigh the grief he'd felt since he lost him. It doesn't matter now. You're here. You're real. Ike sighed. That's what we need to talk about. The joy faded as Buck took in the look on Ike's face and his surroundings. Remembering his earlier misgivings, he wondered how he came to be standing on the plains when he'd been tied in that tin shed. It all seemed real, felt real, but Buck remembered what had happened, both to him and to Ike. None of it could be real. Am I dead? Buck asked him. Ike didn't act exactly answer. Let's take a walk. He held out a hand to the west, and strange and impossible as it all was, Buck trusted him enough to follow. Jimmy pushed the last bit of dirt onto Mr. Lathrop's grave and stepped back, leaning on the shovel. They'd found it in the shed behind the t beside the table. 
Jimmy hadn't been in there before. He had expected to see some horrible torture chamber with chains and whips and whatnot. But it was just a shed, like any other. There were boxes and crates of tools and nails and such. There was a saw, a rake, a hoe, a shovel. The only difference was the blood on the table and the floor around it. Buck's blood. It made him sick. Kid took off his hat and held it over his chest. What are you doing? Jimmy asked, barking more than he had intended to. He's dead, Jimmy, the kid answered. I'm just saying something over his grave. He don't deserve no prayers, kid. Jimmy threw down the shovel. You saw what he did to Buck. I don't claim to understand it, Jimmy, the kid argued. But he had reason, in his own mind. His family is here, fresh, four fresh graves. Indians killed him. So that made it right for him to torture Buck like he did? Jimmy couldn't believe what he was hearing from the kid. Kid could be naive at times and too goody-goody for his own good, but this was going too far. Buck didn't have anything to do with this. Kid put his hat back on his head and looked up at Jimmy. I'm not saying I think it was right. I don't think anything can make what happened to Buck right. I said he had reason in his own mind. He wasn't right in his own mind. He was crazy with grief and anger, and he couldn't see straight. He might have been a good man before all this happened. Jimmy was still angry. So for that, we pray over his grave? He was hot and tired, and he smelled bad from dragging the body over to the gravesite. He hated the man for what he'd done to Buck. He didn't see any reason to pay him any respect at all. Jesus died for sinners, Jimmy, Kid said, and this man was a sinner. It ain't our place to judge. The hell it ain't, Jimmy shot back. Lou judged him fine when she put a bullet into him. I mean, meant his soul, Kid said. Lou stopped him hurting Buck, and I'm glad for that. Let's just go get cleaned up. I want to see how Buck's doing. Jimmy was still fuming, but he did hear what Kid was saying, and to Kid's credit, he hadn't taken up Jimmy's invitation to fight. Jimmy didn't follow him in, though, not just yet. He was still angry. But it wasn't really Kid he was angry with. It was Lathrop, and Jimmy couldn't do anything to Lathrop to make up for what he'd done to Buck, because Lou had already done it. He was worried for Buck. He'd buried too many friends already, and there was nothing he could do to help Buck either. He was frustrated, and he knew he had taken it out on the Kid. Growling because he had nothing better to do, Jimmy threw the shovel onto the grave and followed where Kid had gone. He was surprised to find him just around the corner of the house, leaning against it with his arms crossed over his chest. We could tie a couple horses to that shed and tear it down, Kid suggested with a smirk. Might make us feel better, at least. Jimmy smiled and shook his head. Let's get cleaned up. Buck and Ike walked in silence at first, and despite his many questions, Buck was glad for it at, the at that time. He had been deprived of the sun, the grass, the trees, and now the sun was shining, warming his skin, adding a golden hue to the warm autumn colors around him. The only sounds were the soft breeze, the chirping of birds, the crunch of dried leaves beneath his feet. As he took in his surroundings, he began to realize that he knew the trees, the grass, the sky. He could not name the place, but somewhere in his memory he had the knowledge that he had been there before. You were born here. Ike said, as if he could read Buck's thoughts. 
Buck stopped, causing Ike to stop with him. He turned, looking around the, at the place. Suddenly, teepees stood where bare grass had been as he and Ike had passed, and there were other noises, voices he knew, speaking harshly in the Kiowa tongue. It is a white child! Buck turned away, and the voices in the village disappeared. Ike watched him, his face drawn in sadness. Wasn't anybody happy when you were born? He started walking again. But Buck had questions of his own. How? he asked, planting his feet. How am I here? How are you here? You saw it. How is it it there? There is, is no village here now, and that, he pointed his thumb over his shoulder, that was years ago. How? How isn't important, Buck re uh, Ike replied, still walking. What about why? Buck demanded. He chanced one more glance over his shoulder, and the village was still there. He heard his mother crying, his aunt yelling. He turned away, and the sounds of the village vanished, leaving him alone just with just Ike. Because of your decision, Ike's head was down, and he kicked the earth as he walked. You have to see all sides of it, past and present, white and Indian, good and bad. Buck caught up with him and grabbed Ike's elbow, spinning him around. What decision? What choice? Enough games, Ike. I'll go with you, but I want a straight answer for what? For once. What choice? Ike looked him in the eye and sighed. Your future. Buck met his gaze and didn't release his elbow. What about it? Ike took a deep breath and pulled his arm free. This isn't real, Buck. Not like you know it. I'm not real and you're not real. The real you is dying. Buck took a moment with that information, laying it over the sky, the grass, and Ike. He remembered the shed, the man, his prayers to the spirits. Perhaps he had heard them af they had heard him after all. You're dead, he told Ike again, testing his theory. Ike nodded. And I'm dying. Ike nodded again. This is the spirit world, Buck concluded. Another nod. Buck looked around again, avoiding what was behind him. He knelt and picked a few blades of grass. It looks a lot like the world I grew up in. Ike's lips tipped up on one side, except it doesn't play by the same rules. Now it was Buck's turn to nod. The choice is about my future, and I'm dying. He stood up. I already made that choice. Ike shook his head. You were under pressure and in pain. You couldn't see all sides. That's why I brought you here. I begged to die, Ike. I thought the spirits had abandoned me. Why didn't you come then? I did, Ike said, but you couldn't hear me. You couldn't see me. You couldn't close your eyes. I needed something, and it took time to get it there. I brought you here as soon as I could. Buck read honesty in his face and believed him, though he wondered what the thing was that he had needed. So I get to choose now? Live or die? Ike nodded. But don't decide too quick. You're not in you're not in the shed anymore. The one who put you in there is dead. Lou found you. Teaspoon and Kid found her. They took you to the house. That changes things, doesn't it? Lou. He had heard Lou. He had lost her again and thought it was only a dream. But she was really there. Buck remembered their conversation before he'd left. Nothing can go wrong, she'd said, and he had been encouraged by her enthusiasm. He'd had a chance that morning, a chance at happiness after the Pony Express, a chance that he wouldn't be alone after the loss of the Express took his job away, his reason for staying with Teaspoon and Rachel and the other riders. 
They had become like a like family to him, but it was the job that had brought them together and kept them together until the war started pulling them apart. Even before his trip to St. Joe, his future had become uncertain at best, but the shed had reminded him that his life was seldom at best. He had family now and then, his mother and brother, then Ike, then the writers and Teaspoon, but it was never permanent. He had moments of peace and happiness, but it never lasted. What he had that lasted was the look of disdain in other people's eyes when they looked at him, the ache in his chest when he wasn't included, the pain in his body when they beat him, on him. Would that ever stop? I don't think so, he finally answered. Well, now you know. It's a spiritual journey. And you know the thing that Buck ha or that Ike had to get there for Buck to get there. So that Buck could see and hear him. The dream catcher. The dream catcher was necessary to get Buck to sleep, to let the bad things go out, you know, to keep the bad things out and let the good in so that Ike could finally see him and hear him. And I think it's very cool, and I'm not the only one people reviewed about this, that it was that he could hear Ike's voice and know it. In the episode when Ike was dying, Buck had told the girl that Ike was interested in that it was after her, husband, her father died, I think, that when Ike moved his hands, he heard his voice. That's how close they were. That is, they had become brothers. And in the premiere episode, they had stood apart. Buck did tell Teaspoon that I could hear. He just couldn't speak. He spoke up for him. He did that. I, did, I just kind of wrote about it. It happened in the show. So he obviously knew Ike before. And I don't remember which chapter it's going to be in, but I reference a story I read in probably 2001. Um, I used to copy these uh, stories to my Palm Pilot and read them while I worked. Um, I was a temp, so I didn't have to use my brain all that much when I'm like collating folders and whatnot. <laughs> so I, I read it. And um, funnily enough, that's how I taught myself HTML. I had this book that was very graphic and is learn HTML visually. And I was collating files and I taught myself HTML in a day with that book. <laughs> Didn't do tables and stuff. That was a little more complicated HTML, but it did your basic stuff. And basic HTML is actually very easy. And I recommend that visually series it's great they have an image at the top of what you're going to do and then they have an image of a text editor and a web browser there you are <laughs> type this you get that there it is and you learned a skill and so you learn how to format you know the bold and the italics and and the underlines and all that and how to do a new paragraph how to have a space all of it um centering um text size, colors, um, 
if you want to learn basic HTML, it is a good format to upload your stories in. With basic HTML on AO3, you can add images. You have to host them somewhere. I have my own website, so I host them there, but other people host them on other services. Um, so I just have to link back to my hosted website, and, and I have the pictures there. Pop that in. And that's how I do covers for my stories um, and illustrations in Ospianchim. Ospianchim is the only story I have illustrations for. Um, but, yeah, that was cool. So, anyway, I read this story uh, called Sorrow's Children. And I will have an author's note in the chapter that discusses it, which has the, the author's name, I believe. I did contact the author and ask her if I could use her story as backstory for my story. And she did give me permission. Um, such a thing just came up on one of the fan fiction groups on Facebook today. You know, if you are, have you ever written anything inspired by somebody else's and, you know, story and included, did you have to contact the author? It's, it's nice to contact the author, especially if you're going to, you, you know, if you're just going to say it's inspired by and write differently, you know, that's one thing. But if you're going to write a sequel to it, as I did with Valerie's story, permission should be given. And if you're going to like, I'm going to take her setting and some of her characters and some of the events that happened and I'm going to write about them in my story. That requires, I believe, permission from the original author. And she did give it. And a link back to her story, which is what I did in, in the notes at the, the footnotes at the bottom of that chapter. It is a beautiful story, a sad story, but a beautiful story. And I highly recommend it. And I will, as I said, when I get to that chapter, I will have the author's name and I will give it, but that's what it is. The young writers, sorrows, children, you might be able to find it on just that information. So we're going to have the same thing happen. You'll see if he looks forward, he sees now. If he sees, looks back, he sees the past. And that's going to make a big, you know, difference in, you know, what he's doing. But I'm also going to put in intermittently what's happening with his body and the people around him. Some people find it difficult to switch point of view characters from one scene to the next. I don't have that problem because TV shows are like that. They'll cover the A story and then switch to the B story and then switch back to the A story and, and etc. They do that in the TV shows. And since I started with Star Trek, and Star Trek almost always had an A story and B story, most of the time, I did that. And it was fine. Uh, and that's that's how I started. Um, that's how books are most of the time. Um, not all. I remember Aragon was um, very surprising. It started out as a Lord of the Rings wannabe, but became its own story. And actually very impressive by Christopher Paolini. And it was all from one point of view, which I find very difficult, honestly. By switching to another point of view, you get a chance to move the other story along without having to write every minute of it. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, it gives you a break. 
um, it gives you a break from the pain and the drama, you know, and the torture that I put these characters through, which is also good, you know, to happen. Um, it can be hard to just wallow in it. But if you have, especially in a, a novel, I mean, look at Ausfian Shim, if you listen to that, it did that. You know, we had what was happening in the camp to Dr. Bashir, but we also had what was going on up on the, sh the ship. We were able to take a break and then go back into it. And that's a good thing in a longer story of uh, much angst and torture and such. <laughs> so Buck has been suffering a lot and it's probably helped to keep following this story because I break back to what is Lou doing? What is Teaspoon doing? What is Kid doing? And we got a little bit with Teaspoon and Jenny in this one. We got a little bit with I uh, Jimmy and Kid to break it up. But we started out with that reveal with it was really Ike there. Um, not the, the, the man coming back. Uh, that was... I loved that. I loved that um, that reveal, and that this is the chapter where people were like, "Oh, I get it with Ike now. <laughs> How Ike went and got Jenny. Oh, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, kind of confused because I thought I died. <laughs> oh, I get it. Yeah, Ike was a ghost. The horse was a spiritual a spirit horse. <laughs> That's how it disappeared. Um, Ike tried to get through to Buck and couldn't, knew what Buck was planning, made sure he went to get Jenny. Jenny had the thing he needed to get through to Buck. So the next chapters are that journey that Buck has to take to see the good and the bad, the here, the now and the before, and to make the decision. And at the end of this chapter, He's pretty sure he's not going to change his mind. That's how bad thing the thing was with Lathrop. That's where he was. We'll see. Does he then progress as he goes through this spiritual journey? I would love to hear from you. Ask me questions about writing. Ask me questions about this story. Ask me questions about any of my other stories, whether I've read them in this podcast or you read them online. Go right ahead. Um, after I finish this story, I'll probably read some more of those MCU stories. I don't have a whole lot of other short stories to read. I, I read most of them. So the MCU are the only ones where I have short stories. Um that I haven't read in here, I do believe. I keep a spreadsheet, and they're marked green if I haven't read them in the podcast yet. So we shall see. Um, but I'll probably read some more of those. Uh, but, of course, next tomorrow I'll read Chapter 10. <laughs> we got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and an epilogue to go. I'll probably read that with Chapter 14, because Chapter 14 is going to be short, and so is the epilogue. Um I think this story gets better and better and better as it goes, and 
I think a good story should do that. It should be good right at the beginning, but it should keep getting better and better and better and better and better until it really delivers at the end. And I think this story will do that. All right. Tweet me at at inhildy or email me at inhildy at gmail.com. Inhildy is I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. Bye.